This episode of The Minimalists is brought to you by nobody, because advertisements suck. This podcast has bad words. <laughs> Every little thing you think that you need. Every little thing you think that you need. Every little thing that's just feeding your greed Oh, I bet that you'd be fine without it Hello, everybody. Welcome to The Minimalist Podcast, where we discuss what it means to live a meaningful life with less. My name is Joshua Fields Milburn. And I'm Ryan Nicodemus, and together we are The Minimalists. Ryan, I love you. I love you more. <laughs> Not possible, but we'll explain why on today's episode. <laughs> Click here to find out why Brian doesn't love Josh more. Rebecca, I love you. I love you. We have Rebecca Shern here today. Bex, uh, just started a new podcast. It's called How to Love. So today we're going to talk about love. We're going to talk about relationships, oh. sex, and parenting. I think well, those things will make their way into it as well. Now, the name of the podcast uh, she was gracious enough to ask me to be her co-host. Mm-hmm. It's an audio-only podcast, and so um, we've been talking about love. Now, the name of the podcast is How to Love, mm-hmm. but of course, that's just a Trojan horse. There's some, it's irony, right? Yes. Yeah, yeah because it's not like the seven-step plan <laughs> to love. Mm-hmm. Although I wish, wouldn't that be awesome? If there was a set, dude, there would, it would be awesome if there was like a seven-step plan for a lot of things. <laughs> yeah, and, and there, there are and it worked. There are for really like sort of rudimentary things, right? You, sure. You've got you know getting out of debt or or losing weight. Like there are some really solid how-to's out there. Mm-hmm. When we're talking about love, though. We're talk- talking about understanding mm. love. We're talking about exploring love, and that's what I want to explore with you and the audience today. I think we have a language problem. Now, Bex and I, we talked about this on the first episode of How to Love. Really, there is, you know, when I say I love you, mm-hmm. now I might leave here later today and say, I love burritos, mm. right? Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Now, that's, what I really mean is I enjoy the flavor of burritos, right? Mm-hmm. And in our new book, Love People Use Things, there's this whole section in there called Love is More. You know, it's sort of a play on less is more. And in that section, we, we sort of try to give a, a definition of love. And I found there isn't a, there's not a great definition for love, especially when we're talking about how to be loving or what it entails to understand love. It's a rather circuitous path to, to get there. So I'm not going to read the, the whole excerpt here, but um, the, the part in the book that really makes sense for this conversation is this. Uh, we're talking about well, the definition of love. One love involves bottomless devotion birthed from deep affection. The other is a preference or fondness for something enjoyable. So I love Bex, but I also love tacos, right? All right. And, and so one is about this devotion. The other is about, I enjoy this thing. There's nothing wrong with that, right? It's just, it, it's a, a word that we use, but we use it rather flippantly. And I think that most of us don't actually understand love. Uh, and, and then there's the distinction between loving someone and being in love with them. The same word, two utterly different meanings. In the book, I go on to explain how um, 
the dialect, the Inuit dialect in Canada has up to at least or up to 53 words to describe snow. Mm. And I wish we had that for love. Isn't that cr- like the English language uh-huh. has the most words in it? Yeah, I was yeah. just thinking the same thing. Out of any language. But, but we have y- one word for love. We have one word for love. But what's interesting, though, in other languages, they have many words for love. Right. Yeah, especially you go back to, to the sort of mm. romance languages and the roots and yeah. uh, Latin and, and, and Greek, and you start to understand that they're, they do have different descriptors. Yeah, it's, you know, the American language relies a lot on context. Right. And, yeah, that's, uh, it's, it's good in the sense that we don't have to ha- add more words, but when it comes to something like love, uh-huh. it, it muddles things a little bit. Right, and it makes it harder to understand, which is ironic because love is ultimately, or at least a big component of it, is about understanding, understanding mm-hmm. the way things are, understanding the other person. And Bex, I think with our relationship, the thing that works so well is that we understand each other. Yeah, and we always seek to better understand each other. Right. right. There's never an, uh, a place where we reach like, oh, we understand each other. We get each other. It's like, no, we understand that we're continually changing mm-hmm. and we're going to continue to have to like adjust and learn each other's new preferences. Now, Ryan and I had a conversation the other day about commitment. Mm. Right. And I loved you and I had a, a similar conversation. It was just not in front of microphones at the time. And it was after I got home and I had been speaking to Ryan on the podcast about commitment and how when you have a deep desire for something, it actually does not require commitment. And I think sometimes we confuse love or being in a relationship with someone, a marriage, or even a friendship, mm-hmm. as though you have to be committed to that person. Mm. And you said something that I think would offend most people, but it really made me just, just uh, overjoyed to hear. You're like, I've never committed to you. <laughs> <laughs> Can you expand on that? <laughs> Yeah, I mean, I I don't think I would have thought of it had the conversation not come up. Mm-hmm. But, like, no, it's never been a commitment. I've never made this, like, well, Josh and I, we're in it for life. Uh-huh. Like, better for better or worse, like, mm-hmm. to death do its part. It's like, no, like, we're, we choose to be together because we work well together yeah. in so mm-hmm. many different ways. And um, that doesn't involve a commitment. Right. Mm-hmm. I, I feel the same way about uh, like Ryan and I have a business together. We also have a friendship together and mm-hmm. those things are uh, intertwined. They, they can't not be right. Right. Um, but Ryan, I, I never feel like I'm committing to you it, mm. it, in a way. It almost feels like you're getting up at 5 a.m. to jog in the morning. I'm committed to this new habit or whatever. Yeah. I don't feel that way w- with you. I don't feel as though I must commit. Maybe that's a better way to say it. Yeah. Hmm. It's interesting because uh, what's coming up for me right now is when I think about Mariah and I, um, which is so nice that I can talk about our relationship and she's not here to uh, <laughs> t- to deny anything. <laughs> no, actually, I don't. Yeah, she I should be. Make her I would agree with me. everything I say. Yeah, no, no. no. Um, actually, I wish she was here to to expound on this a little bit more. But uh, with Mariah, I love her deeply and I want to understand her, so I search for understanding where she comes from yes where i get stuck and where i get caught up is when i get when i feel misunderstood or so that feeling can lead to anger Mm -hmm. um and then when i'm emotional emotional like that whether i'm upset or angry or 
whatever, that negative feeling, sometimes I forget that I'm trying to understand her Mm. because the emotion will overtake and interrupt that deep love that I have for her. Right. And it's almost like, and it's usually after I act like a jerk that I'll go back and be like, you know what? I really wasn't seeking to understand you then. And you know, I, I want you to know that I do want to understand, or I, I do want to understand you, but I guess it's, it goes back to this word commitment because it's almost like, because what you're talking about is this free flow state of just being with each other. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. But there are times when that, for me, when that state gets interrupted mm-hmm. and I have to remind, it's, it's, but it's almost like that word commitment when it does come up, I'm like, you're really upset right now, but like you are committed to understanding mm-hmm. essentially. Yeah. So yeah, it's interesting how, um, you know, 90%, of Mariah and I's relationship is free flow, Uh but that word commitment will come up for me personally Uh because that stake gets interrupted. Right. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I I think that makes a lot of sense. I I think what you're bringing up though, as that gets interrupted again and again, it sounds to me like what you're saying is you get better at understanding each time, you know, you're sort Mm -hmm. of developing that understanding muscle in a way. I wish I was getting better at it. So you're getting worse (laughs) at it. No, no, I'm kidding. I'm (laughs) kidding. No, I, I mean, to your point of like, things are always constantly moving and changing. Uh-huh. So you have to adjust. Yeah. And uh, yeah, I, I think I'm probably getting better at it, but there's always some kind of new understanding that uh, pops up, I guess, whether, you know, it's on the horizon or whatever. But, uh, but yeah, I, I was, I was kind of saying that tongue in cheek. Mm. <laughs> well, I've got a definition here from uh, the book. I skip ahead a page or two. If you consult your nearest dictionary, you'll find that love has several meanings. An intense feeling of deep affection, a great interest and pleasure in someone, a person or a thing that one loves. But my favorite definition is one I never thought much about. The fourth entry in the New Oxford American Dictionary defines love as a tennis term. Love, a score of zero. Ooh. Isn't that amazing? Yeah. I forgot about that part in the book. Oh, In the context of a tennis match, that means one thing. But as a broader metaphor, it means everything. Mm. Real love, when removed from the desires and commodification of the modern world, does not keep score. There's no balance sheet, no barometer, no measuring stick for love. Yeah. But too often it feels like we are often creating these these measuring sticks, Mm. aren't we? Yeah. Yeah, and, and I think they manifest well, in a bunch of different ways. Well, it's funny because, like, you know, uh, I, this is how I used to approach it. And there's a Seth Godin article that does a much better job of explaining what I'm about to. And I have searched for this article left and right. And, like, I have I've spent hours searching for it. And I cannot find it. But okay. he, he talks about how keeping score in a relationship is a zero-sum game. Uh-huh. And I'm going to, again, I'm going to try and explain this, but I'm not going to do a very good job. But... uh when Mariah comes home and let's say I'm on the couch and I'm like, oh, I, Mariah's home. I'm really excited to see her. She's going to come over here and give me a kiss. But instead, she picks up the cat and she shows affection to the cat. And then I'm like, what the heck, man? Like, I'm over here on the couch. So I've got this expectation yes. that she doesn't even know about. And then 
you know, as she's petting the cat, I'm like, but I came home yesterday and I went right to her <laughs> and gave her a kiss. So now I'm keeping score uh-huh. of who does what for who. And the problem is that if you are keeping score, eventually, especially because these are expectations that our partners don't even know about sometimes. Sure. You start, like, it's a zero, it eventually gets to a zero level where you're going to feel like, you're going to feel like you're doing more in the relationship than the other person. Uh-huh. And, uh, yeah, that's just, that's the danger of keeping score. But I love this idea, love, this idea of love being a score of zero because it doesn't start off with this meter. It just, it's, it starts at zero, Yeah, which is, um, yeah. So from there you can only add. Yeah. In a way, I think, you know, the one thing that makes our relationship great, and I, th- I would say the same thing about, uh, Ryan, y- yours and my relationship is I feel like we show up full and we're not, we're not expecting to be filled by the other person. No, no. Yes. Well, sometimes Bex is. (laughs) (laughs) Hey, oh, oh, this just went, this just went parental advisory. (laughs) Uh, yeah. You know, I was actually thinking about what love makes me really want to do. And it's, it's, uh, it's about showing up for the other person Mm. about supporting the other person. And, I think like that is for me is a, it's a, it's a truer definition of love. Not cause you know, we talk about unconditional love, which I think is overrated. Mm. Unconditional love is overrated. Okay. Um, and I've talked about this before and I'll tell the story again real quick. Uh, Bex, I don't know if you've actually heard this, but like my, so my brother, he, uh, he came over in Montana meet him and my family. And, uh, we were having a nice little week vacation together and he was just like, treating me like garbage treating the whole family like garbage i don't know what anger he was holding in but it was like this projection of anger and at a certain point i was like what is your problem man what do you mean we're family you know we we can do whatever we want i'm like i have friends that treat me better than you treat me yeah but they're friends and i'm family i'm like right so you should treat me better than my friends right and that's Mm -hmm. like he had nothing he's like oh yeah i see what you're saying but the problem (laughs) is that 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 unconditional love gave him permission to treat everyone like garbage oh you have to love me right because i'm your family and and it's uh yeah it's 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 overrated i feel like in some ways i I would say that that he probably doesn't understand that that's not a loving way to behave right because if if he was being if if he understood love in fact, I would make the argument that unconditional love is the only kind of love that exists. Hmm. Uh, conditional love becomes then transactional love, well, and I, and you must fulfill these the the sort of terms of service mm. in order for me to love you. Um, that's a long discussion. Maybe we can get to that on the maximal because we have a bunch of questions to get to today. Yeah, well, it goes back to the definition, right? Right. So unconditional love, I think, is oftentimes used how my brother was using it. Mm. Where you're coming from with unconditional love is a. It sounds like a completely different definition. Yeah, yeah. And, and I don't want to get caught up on the definition. Right. Yes. Yeah. I think unconditional love is often used to excuse bad behavior. Yeah, hundred percent. Tweet that podcast within on. relationships. Yeah. yeah, yeah. No, that's uh, that's absolutely true. But for me, again, like the 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 love that I truly feel and experience, it doesn't require any taking. Yes. Yeah. Th- that's it, and that's why it is the sort of. <clears throat> 
the score of zero. Well, the podcast is called How to Love. How to Love dot show is where you can find it. Uh, it's like <laughs> instead of dot net or whatever. I, I was uh, uh, I, I saw your post, so I went to Patreon and I typed in How to Love to uh-huh. to go support Bex, and it the first thing that popped up was How to Cat. <laughs> <laughs> so I signed up for that instead. I'm sorry, Bex. <laughs> okay, I understand. <laughs> Uh, the book is called Love People Use Things. It's available for pre-order right now. LovePeopleUseThings.net. We have a question here from Maureen in London, England. I recently got out of a six-year relationship. Um, my partner was living with me for the last 18 months of that relationship. And despite being devastated when it ended, less than two months on, I really can see the relationship for what it was and actually it was a really um, wise to not be in that relationship anymore and to not settle for anything less than what I deserve. Um, I think it's been a really good learning experience however what I'm really conscious of looking at this relationship and previous relationships is that I seem to be making the same errors when I'm with someone and I'm allowing the relationship to drag on for longer than it should rather than letting go of it a lot earlier it would be good to hear your thoughts on how you um make sure that your feelings of love for someone don't cloud your judgment about the reality of a relationship and how you can kind of just stay down to earth about it even after a long-term relationship so maureen i applaud you for asking a question like this because it sounds to me like if I were to rephrase the question, how do you recognize when it's time to end a relationship mm. or, or what are the, the sort of red flags? Is that what you heard, Bex? Yeah. Let's talk about this. Yeah. So I heard myself in Maureen's question, <laughs> to be mm-hmm. honest, my former self. Okay. Um, and I might be now just superimposing my experience onto hers. So apologies, Maureen, if this is totally not what you were looking for. What are but you talking about? That's exactly what Josh and I do. That's the only time. thing we do on this podcast is yeah. superimpose our experience on other people's. Right. <laughs> um, so, you know, she, she had the six-year relationship. Um, only 18 months of it at the very end was them living together. Mm. So what I'm going to guess is that at the start, she was like, mm, yeah, you know, this person is someone I enjoy. I, you know, have a few similarities with like maybe they have great sex or maybe they, you know, have a lot of snow activities they like to do snowboarding. Maybe they got kids. Yeah. Maybe they had kids early on. Mm. Um, or they get attached to kids from the other person's former relationships. Yeah. So there are lots of reasons why you might get attached early to someone, Mm. but, at least in my experience, especially with my my first marriage, is like there are definitely red flags in relationships that are not going to work, mm. right? Yeah. And they usually happen early on. I don't remember. I feel like I don't remember who said it, but like the idea of when people show you who they are, believe them, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. And you often see exactly who people are even within the first two months Mm. or the first six months, Mm -hmm. definitely within the first year. Yes. Mm -hmm. And I think at least what I've often done is discount the negative, like make excuses for the red flags. Like, Mm. oh, it was just, you know, a one-time thing or that was a rough situation or they were really upset or Mm -hmm. 
blah 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 explaining it away yeah yeah absolutely giving them giving myself permission to not see the red flag Mm. because i don't want to see it Mm -hmm. i what i want is this relationship to work because more than anything else i wanted to be in a relationship Mm. yeah you want the warm and fuzzies yeah so to get to those warm and fuzzies you got to ignore the bad stuff yeah yeah so i guess the the like fundamental part of this question is or the fundamental part of how you recognize when it's time to end a relationship see the red flags yeah and don't try to explain them away and don't examine them yeah examine them see them understand them Mm -hmm. and realize that they're probably not going to go away yeah yeah and so then the question then becomes that are you willing to pay that cost that is the cost of admission right right yeah something else i heard in maureen's question is it's almost like she saw the red flags she knew it was time to go but she couldn't let go and i was thinking about you know uh because you know i'm still in advice mode josh i'm like how could i well what advice could i give someone who's like i'm in a bad relationship i know it's not working out but it's too hard to let go because that's the story of every relationship leading up to mariah Uh (laughs) um to, to the point where I would like self I would self sabotage because then the, they would have to leave me. In what ways? Oh, uh, like I was a serial cheater. Uh-huh. Like you know, just yeah, really frosted flakes. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> Graham, <laughs> mm, Count Chocula. This episode is brought to you by cereal. Anyway, um, so so it's uh, it's interesting because there's always like this black or white choice i feel like i've always had Mm. that is so difficult you stay and you get a little bit of the warm and fuzzies but you got to put up with all the red flags and all the the bs Mm -hmm. or you have to leave yes and as i was thinking this i'm like wait a minute like there's not just two options Mm. like if you find yourself in a relationship like it's and people do this like they step away they separate for a little bit yes but you know if you're i think for me the red flag is if you're in a relationship and you're experiencing some of this discontent or you're not feeling great about the relationship ask yourself would i be happier without this person and if the initial feeling is i think i might be happier without this person Mm -hmm. then maybe it is time to to choose a third option Mm -hmm. and uh yeah i mean I, i guess i'm just trying to give permission for people to let go when they find themselves in a situation like this i love i love the letting go part especially here because Letting go isn't something you do. It's something you stop doing. You stop tolerating the nonsense you're talking about mm-hmm. here, right? The, yeah. the, you stop, you stop accepting. On. Yeah, you stop. Uh, you stop hanging on. You stop accepting the red flags for what they were. Or, t- in order to let go of them, you can change your beliefs around those as well. Because sometimes I think quite often what needs to happen in these scenarios is I need to do a better job understanding my beliefs around something it, it it may not be the truth it may just be some way that i've been indoctrinated to to believe that you are supposed to you know, whatever fill in the blank not drink or you are supposed to drink in order for us to have a, a relationships so and go out together wh- whatever it is mm-hmm. right but these are just beliefs right a- and so sometimes letting go of the beliefs can save the relationship i was clinging to the 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 to disempowering beliefs Mm. yeah i think at the end of the day i'm going to pick up on your beloved phrase i am honored sorry at the end of the day it's like it just like 
comes this way. It's At like, the end of the day, yeah. osmosis. osmosis. I saw this meet. Uh, anyway, actually, I, I won't derail ahead, this. But, I won't derail this. Bex, please. <laughs> <laughs> um, I think that for me anyways, what's been helpful with figuring out when it's time to end a relationship is listening to your intuition, right? And listening yeah. to those those internal cues that are telling you like, this, this isn't the right place to right. be. Um, yeah. And you get there by a combination of, you know, the red flags and thinking about whether or not you'd be happier by yourself or not. Or, yeah. Um, well, she yeah. did say that she sometimes worries that love clouds judgment. Ooh. And I, I would say there are three components to any relationship. We talk about this in Love People Use Things. Yeah. Uh, and, and initially got this from our friend Chris Ryan. Uh, he who wrote the book Sex at Dawn, wrote Civilized to Death. Yeah. And his concept of relationships involves sort of a three-legged table, right? Mm -hmm. And it requires all three legs to hold up the table. Mm -hmm. uh, too often we fulfill one or two of these legs and the other one's either short or missing. Mm -hmm. And so the, the table falls over. So the first one is chemistry. And that's the thing that makes the relationship really easy up front, right? Because you have that the chemistry, sexual chemistry, or just enjoy being around each other, the new You love the same music. Yeah. Yeah, right. There's, there's, a, there's a particular energy there at mm -hmm. the onset of a relationship. Yeah. And that can last for a long time. That flame burns hot, um, but it, it does stay lit for a while. And I say a long time. It could be a month, two months, six months, a year. But eventually, if the relationship is predicated solely on chemistry, we know what that what ha there are whole sitcoms that are <laughs> that are dedicated to exposing this lie of life. Well, this makes me think you said love clouds the judgment. Uh huh. That's but what she, yeah, Maureen yeah, that's said. what that's what she's saying. But it's almost like it's the pleasure that clouds the judgment. Exactly. That we confuse for love. Bingo. Yeah. Or, or we could even say the chemistry here. Yeah. So the second component yeah, yeah. is compatibility. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. The third component is love. Mm. I, now, of all of those, love is the one we understand the least. Again, I think love, it, it, it really involves a deep understanding, acceptance, and appreciation, not of the way you hope things to be, but of the way things are, warts and all. Uh, not trying to change the other person, that's not loving, that's coercion. Remember when Mike Tyson yell, was yelling at the reporter, I'm going to fuck you till you love me. <laughs> but that's how we treat relationships. Mm. Uh, maybe fig literally, but I'm, I mean figuratively. It's like, I'm going to persuade you, force you, drag you into love with me. Mm. But, but you can't induce love. Love doesn't work that way. Now, compatibility, on the other hand, I think that might be the most difficult of yeah. the three components. In fact, yeah. it's the reason that I think most marriages or relationships, boyfriend, girlfriend, whatever, partnerships, they they carry on for such a, she, she talked about six years. Mm. Well, being incompatible is, is easy to deal with. But you don't want to deal with it. Imagine having to deal with your relationship, yeah. right? Like, it's like, what are you going to do, pain management for your relationship? No, of course. You don't want to deal with your relationship. Mm -hmm. You want your relationship to be thriving. Yeah. Can I add something here? Of course. You're the guest. I think <laughs> that one of the things that we struggle with with compatibility in romantic relationships in particular is the idea that 
we're really incompatible with almost everyone we're around all the time, Mm -hmm. right? And so we're used to being incompatible. We're used to trying to navigate like the weird places where things don't sync up right, where you don't see eye to eye. We're Mm. used to trying to quote unquote make it work, right? Mm. And so we then transfer that to romantic relationships. And we put up with being incompatible with people that we, you know, we, we, we get, we have chemistry with them Mm -hmm. and eventually maybe the chemistry evolves into some sort of love Mm -hmm. and we're kind of compatible. Right, right, right. right. But it's not. It's not working. Right. The the, the table is wobbly. Yeah. Yep. I'm just really grateful for, uh, okay. Cupid's algorithm that, uh, (laughs) that's the first thing that like drew me to Mariah was, because when she reached out to me, she had no pro. There was no profile. Yeah. She just like filled out the questionnaire. But we were like a ninety-two or ninety-three percent match, and I was like, oh, like I know that I have no idea what this person looks like, but uh, she did end up like emailing me a picture or something. Uh-huh. Um, uh-huh. It was uh, it was just a picture <laughs> of an eggplant. <laughs> no, but uh, but from but, her garden. But it's but but I, I actually am being serious. Like there is like algorithms out there to help you. Um, I'm not saying everyone can rely on these, but that is, it was the compatibility part that really made me excited about going on that first date with Mariah. I'm like, we are 93%. This is the highest match that I've had on this website. And every date I went up to or uh, went on leading up to that, you know, it was like 85, 86%. And it was always like good, good compatibility. Mm -hmm. And yeah, it's, there is an algorithm that totally like helped Mariah and I get together based on compatibility. And if you're looking for another sort of algorithm, maybe a deeper algorithm, something Mm -hmm. deeper than an algorithm, we have a a values worksheet on our website, theminimalists.com slash V. And there is an essay there about understanding your values. It's a free worksheet. You can download it. It actually stemmed from Bex and I. We we started writing out our values on like notepads and Apple Notes and stuff. And eventually we we discovered... uh, talking with Ryan as well, there are these four different types of values. Mm. Well, three, and then there's imaginary values. And we go into detail on that. But understanding what your values are can help with that compatibility component as well. Mm. Because if you val- value everything different from your partner, is there going to be much compatibility there? No, of course not. Mm. So theminimalists.com slash V, you can download the free values worksheet over there and read the essay about understanding your values we're running out of time so i'm gonna go past billy's question because i want to make time well for what time it is right now ryan what time is it you know what time it is it is time for our lightning round where we answer your text messages you can text your questions and comments to 937-202-4654 Shout out to everyone who's been sending us pictures of what they're decluttering recently. So many people taking the less is now challenge after watching the film. And so they're posting it with the hashtag less is now on social media, tagging us. We're just at the minimalists. But also uh, Bex and I have been doing the the challenge as well this month. Um, Day 31 will surprise you. I'll tell you that. Um, And uh, day 32 will surprise you with. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Well, uh, uh, you can follow Bex at minimal wellness on Instagram to see how our family is decluttering, or you can just send us a, a text message with what you are letting go of this month. By the way, those texts go to both my phone and Ryan's phone. We respond to quite a few of them and 
we respond to some on the podcast. Now, during the lightning round, this is where Ryan and I and our guests, we do our best to answer every question with a short, shareable, less than 140-character response. We put the text to these minimal maxims in the show notes so you can copy and share our pithy answers on social media if you'd like. And now you can find all of our minimal maxims in one place, minimalmaxims.com. We have a special question today, Ryan. From our MVP, official TK Coleman. That's right. He's official. He is official. <laughs> Eight-time podcast guest. Is he? Yeah. He, he holds the record. That's awesome. By a long I love shot. TK. I wish he was here in person to, to ask this question. He asks, do you ever passionately disagree about important decisions that affect the entire family? For example, where should we live? Where should we send our child to school, etc.? If so, how do you handle compromise and conflict resolution. Ooh. Bex, how do you handle compromise and conflict resolution? God, I love this question. Um, TK, you're, geni- you're a genius. Um, you know, you and I, mm-hmm. I have to say, we don't often passionately disagree. That's true. Um, and we don't we often... start if you'd like. Yeah, I know, right? Shut <laughs> up. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I, I, yeah, I can't so, imagine. So, yeah, I, I think at least for us, part of this question is kind of hard. Yeah. Because I, I think part of the... There, there are several reasons why we don't passionately disagree. First of all, we're hyper-compatible. Mm-hmm. Um, and the stuff that we're not, quote-unquote, compatible about... Yes. Uh, per, you know, for example, um, affinity for nature. Yeah. <laughs> uh, tolerance of dirt. Yes. Yeah. Yes. Uh, like, we <laughs> both appreciate. camping and Josh hates pretending that he's homeless. <laughs> we, both, <laughs> we both appreciate where the other is coming from. Yeah. Right? And, like, I'm not going to try to bully you into doing something my way or vice versa. It's definitely not. Um, and so I think there's a certain, go, going back to the understanding thing, understanding your, your partner's preferences, yeah. right? And not trying to force your preferences on your partner. That's my, actually my pithy answer here is, because he asked, where, where should we live? Where should we send our child to school? My pithy answer is, is rather pithy. It's just, there is no should, there never was. Mm. These shoulds, even the ones he describes, are really good examples of, of, of common problems that come up in a relationship mm. and it's because they're, they're problems only because we believe they're shoulds. We put this like pressure on ourselves to right. do something when there was the only pressure that exists is what we have put on it. Yes. Right. A hundred percent of the time. And so these are, these shoulds are all manufactured mm-hmm. and, and they're, it's really saying, well, I have a pre- preference to send our kid to this school. You have a preference for that school. And, and, and Bex is in my relationship. I know that we could talk about that. And then we, as, as we communicate, we do a better job of understanding like, okay, what, what are your beliefs around this? What are my beliefs around it? And how do I untangle those beliefs to get to some sort of essence? Yeah. yeah. Bex, I like what you have written here. Did you, did you say this? Did you say your pithy answer? I didn't say my pithy Okay, so yet. you say your pithy answer first because mine is very <laughs> similar to yours and I don't want to steal your thunder. Oh, you're so sweet. <laughs> I do what I can. Um, okay, so my pithy answer is respect and appreciation help us find compromise and resolve conflict. Yes, so I totally agree with that. So mine is disagreements are easier to solve when we approach them with love and understanding. So this makes me think about this word passionately inserted here before the word disagree. Mm-hmm. And I think what happens is w- we get passionate 
about an emotion that we have or a belief or whatever it is. So then we project that's, that's what the passion means to me. Cause you know, this is this passionate here mm-hmm. before disagree is not, this sounds like a pejorative to me. It doesn't sound like something mm-hmm. positive. So I think if you approach any disagreement or any decision, major decision with, uh, with love, with understanding, with respect, with appreciation, I think, uh, you can actually just have a disagreement and not a passionate disagreement. Right. Right. But you know, it's, it's interesting. I had this little aside here with, I'm sorry, were you going to say something? No. Okay. No. Cool. You're disagreeing with me. Awesome. Totally. All right. Sweet. <laughs> so, uh, my, my little aside here is that with disagreements, we often try when we're passionately disagreeing, we often try to convince someone of something. Mm. And, uh, I love that Josh and I are trying to get away from, from the convincing business. Yes. So, uh, if you're trying to convince someone, there's probably something wrong. And when we have these passionate disagreements, even worse, we might actually, to a certain degree, be trying to take something away from someone, Mm -hmm. Uh, whether it's an idea or a preference or uh, a point of view. So um, really, uh, you know, what what I have written here is like an argument is best solved when both sides are trying to find a way to give rather than take. And if, mm. if both people can approach it in that way, you can get through these disagreements. Mm. So instead of trying to convince someone or to take someone's idea away, really approach, and this is what I do with Mariah, because it actually makes me feel, because of the, the love I have for her, it makes me feel so good to like give her something. So when we have a disagreement and uh, that emotion isn't clouding my, <laughs> my, my, my judgment at that time, you know, I can get into a space a lot of the times where I'm like, oh, she's asking for something that I want to give her. And then once she sees me giving her something, she will then in turn give me something back. So, uh, yeah, um, TK, great question. Uh, I know that him and his wife are not passionately disagreeing about a lot of things, though. <laughs> yeah. Because <laughs> yeah. they seem like a very awesome couple. <laughs> yeah, they are. They're, they're wonderful. Uh, I, I will say that, you know, the word compromise st- stood out to me, Bex, and maybe we could talk about that because uh, I want to echo what Ryan said here with respect to arguing. I, I think that arguing is solved only when we understand why we're arguing. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Uh, sometimes we're arguing because we feel insignificant. Mm-hmm. Uh, I, I feel like I'm not being heard. I feel like um, I'm competing against you. Uh, even in our own relationship, or maybe even especially in our own relationships, we compete against the person. I'm smarter than you, faster than you, whatever it is. Like, it, uh, more, I'm kinder than you, right? I'm more compassionate than you. And it beca- we become martyrs for our own relationship. Mm. Now, Bex, you talked about compromise here in your answer. And... You know, I'm of two minds of, of uh, compromise. I, I actually feel very similar to it as I do commitment in mm-hmm. a way. I feel that it becomes an obligation. In fact, we, we feel as though it is noble or virtuous to compromise. And I believe there are times where we have to give up something to get something. And if that's what we mean by compromise, wonderful. If we mean that we must do things repeatedly that we dislike in order to make a relationship work, then I hate that. Yeah. And I don't yes. want to compromise at all. Amen. Yeah. Yep. Anything to add to that? No. 
Agreed. Right. That was perfect. <laughs> <laughs> All right, y'all. Well, we got some listener tips today. We also have a added value segment about love. But it looks like we had a bunch more surprise questions this week. Ryan, like, how do you find the balance between being a couple and being individuals? Bex and I, we talk about this one a lot. So I think we'll uh, we'll be able to go in depth on that. That's easy. One person lives in Montana half of the time. <laughs> right. <laughs> yeah, but what about yeah, the other half? Easy. <laughs> Uh, what are your fears and insecurities as you settle into your relationship? Can you discuss your thoughts on non-monogamy? Do you really did you really get married, or do you just say you're married without the big cost and paper? Um, okay, how do you tell your partner? How do you help your partner who isn't a minimalist part with material items? What is your favorite Tinder profile? What's in your fun box? actual question plus a million more questions for bex and the minimalist if you want to hear all that join us on the minimalist private podcast this week that's right we release a second private podcast episode every week on patreon that's one free minimal episode every tuesday that's the one you're listening to right now and one completely separate long form maximal episode every thursday so visit the minimalists.com slash support to subscribe and get your personal link so that our private podcast plays in your favorite podcast app you also get access to hundreds of hours of archives i mean it just goes way 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 back you've got a lot of catching up to do dude if we, if I uh, was a listener and not like the host of this, a co-host of the show, mm-hmm. I would sign up just for the biggest failures, honestly. Uh, yeah, the biggest failures segment. So we have guests do, uh, Bex did hers already. We They, they do like a little five-minute video about mm-hmm. something they failed, on, uh, uh, failed at and the lessons they've learned from that. So we've got all the archives there, live events, et cetera. Keeps our show 100% advertisement free and it's cheaper than a cup of coffee. Visit theminimalists.com slash support to subscribe. Ryan, what else you got for us this week? Here are some voicemail comments and tips from our listeners. Check them out. Hello, this is Morris Bradley Watson calling out of Tampa, Florida. And I just wanted to bring up a line of thought in regards to the selling part of decluttering when it comes to minimalism. The first half is a list of price points to consider when selling some of your unused stuff. And the second half is the philosophy behind why letting go is okay, even when you may not be 100% happy with it. So here are five price points to remember and consider when reselling an item. One, the price you paid for it sans tax. Two, the used price sans tax, which is always half the original price. This is what most people want out of their items, but it's not what they'll always get. Three, the market price for similar items. Four, the price the consumer wants to pay for the item. And five, the price you want or will settle for when it comes to the item. One thing to remember is that you don't actually own anything. That may be a difficult concept to grasp, but let me explain. Everything you buy is a remaining lifetime rental, meaning that when you are no longer here, your lease is up and your stuff is not coming with you. Where it goes from there is up for you to determine while you're still here. But let's say you get a brand new couch for $500 and use it for five years. You may not get $250 out of it. You may only get $50 to $100, but even at that, you have the experience of owning that couch for better or worse. And if you discount the amount you resold the couch for, you can count that as how much you initially paid for it. And if you do feel bad about spending as much as you did initially, Taking off that $100 can help you feel so much better. So wait, you say, if this is a remaining lifetime rental, what happens when I break the lease 
and I resell it. Now, that's actually a really fun part, because most times when you break a lease, you have to pay a fee, but in this scenario, you're actually getting paid. But anyway, I found that looking at things this way has really helped me declutter and let go. Hi, my name is Jess, and I have gone from being a shopaholic to a minimalist, and it has completely changed my life. Um, I just wanted to kind of share with you a more effective form of using the one-in-one-out rule that has worked for me so well that I've never even had to make a swap. (laughs) Um, So with the one-in-one-out rule, one really good example is the first step to that being effective is to declutter honestly. You know, when you get rid of your stuff, be honest with yourself. Like, for example, for me, like my jewelry collection, um, I had so much jewelry, but I only wore like five things. So it took like three to four times and I finally decluttered everything. And I just have one necklace. I have one ring and then a couple pair of earrings and that's it, you know? So if I see this necklace in the store and I'm just like, oh, I really want that necklace. (laughs) Instead of thinking, well, I'll just buy it and get rid of a pair of socks. It doesn't work that way. If you, if you buy a necklace, you have to get rid of a necklace. You have to get rid of a like item. And the reason why that works so well for me is because I have reduced my clutter so much that I only own one necklace and I love it so much. It's so special to me. There's no way I would buy another necklace and replace it. So it's just, it's really worked for me. All right, y'all. Since we're talking about love today, I thought for our added value segment, we would recommend a song. In fact, I think we'll play it at the end of the audio version. Sorry if you're watching this on YouTube. Jordan will just play our regular theme song by Peter Doran. But there's a song we have here today called Easy to Love by Michael Flynn. Ryan and I saw Michael Flynn. He is the lead singer of a, a band called Slow Runner. Where did we see him at? He opened for William Fitzsimmons at the Canal Street Tavern in downtown Dayton, Ohio. Oh, yeah, that's right. And it was a really late show. It was really late. And, like, uh, Fitzsimmons came out. He's like, are you guys ready to be sad? (laughs) 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 Yeah. Which, you juxtapose him with Michael Flynn's music, which is, like, really upbeat and kind of, like, poppy, but... The lyrics are so deep. He had one of my favorite albums of 2020. The album is called Survive With Me, which great title for a pandemic album, right? Mm, yeah. Survive With Me. Yeah. And I feel like in many ways, Bexa, you know, in 2020, there was a lot of surviving together, right? If we're not thriving together, we're, we're surviving together. And, and that togetherness has um, certainly made my life a lot better. And I'm grateful for that. So let's listen at the end of this episode to Easy to Love by Michael Flynn, because I do think when love is done well, it is easy. It is simple. It, it requires very little effort to love. Unfortunately, we cloud it up with, uh, we junk it up with uh, complexities, right? Uh, real quick for right here, right now, here's one thing that's going on in the life of the minimalist. Well, sort of. Uh, adjacent to the minimalist, uh, Bex has her new podcast, How to Love. How to Love show is where you can find it, and uh, we're talking twice a month on the podcast. Mm-hmm. Uh, I think it's the first and the fifteenth. Uh, we've already done a few episodes out there. The third episode comes out next week, and so Bex, um, you decided it's not everywhere. The, the podcast is not wherever podcasts are found. You always hear people say that. Mm-hmm. Listen wherever you find podcasts. Mm-hmm. You can't do that with this one. Nope. This is a private podcast. It is. Yeah. And so um, 
uh, howtolove.show is the only place that you can find it. Yeah, it's on Patreon. That's right. Yeah. All right, y'all. You can follow The Minimalist on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram at The Minimalist. Follow Bex on Instagram at Minimal Wellness. Come to one of our live podcast shows. Visit theminimalists.com slash tour to find a city near you. If you have a question, comment, or minimalism tip for our podcast, email a voice memo to podcast at theminimalists.com. You can comment on this episode at youtube.com slash theminimalists. And if you want our show notes in your inbox, sign up for our email list over at theminimalists.com. You'll also receive our simple Sunday emails whenever we send those. And if you leave here today with just one message, we hope it's this. Love people and use things because the opposite never works. Thanks for listening, y'all. We'll see you next time. Waited on a man with the strength to carry her. Settled for this bumbling sitcom character. Good enough, but barely or not quite. Rarely ever.